You know, having a sense of identity in who you are is priceless. Having clarity in who you are not, I would say, is liberating. Having that definition is a, is a key word there. We need it when we take a new job. We take a job, we look at a job description, we know the chain of command, we know those elements before we ever sign on to say yes to a, to a job. We, in relationships, we go through a process after time of defining the relationship. And it's always good when both people are on the same page with that definition of whatever the relationship is. And so definition and clarity, extremely important in life. We accept it in every area. We expect it in every area. The church is no different. Are we a cruise ship where we're here to serve you the drink of your choice at the temperature that you like? and to serve you everything hot and fresh? Or is it more of a battleship, more of a, more of a sense of mission and purpose and direction? To, and to not just simply ask, what can I get from the church, but what is the church asking of me? And where are we going in this game of life that we're playing here? I want you to hang on to that thought. Just table that, put it on the side, and we'll come back to that in, in a moment. But as we're talking about loving local, it does tie together. And I hope we'll bring it together in a moment. But we have been seeking to have clarity as well in what love looks like. Definition in what love looks like. Clarity in what local looks like. Again, last week we dealt with kind of a, a tough one. And loving your enemy. And how do you love your enemy? And what is love? And what is love is not. And then even... Your neighbor, you remember Jesus was asked the question, so I'm supposed to love my neighbor, so who's my neighbor? We've kind of been asking that all the way through, and I think a neighbor is far more than a geographical location. And we talked about that. Don't need to go back and relive that. But just in review, I think as we think about where we live, loving local, I think it's very healthy to come back and to bring the church back into the paradigm. Now, let me tell you what, again... Because clarity of who we are not is just as important as clarity of who we are. And definition of who we are not is just as important as definition of who we are. So let me tell you first of all what we're not. We're not, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about steeples and programs. Alright, steeples and programs have their place, alright? Uh, for example, programs. We have lots of programs around here. We have day camp program for your grade school children. We have, we have one weekend for your, for your, pro, uh, for your, for your, for your, uh, student ministry and all that we have we have lots of programs this this coming back in the fall i'm glad to announce that we actually just signed a thing this week uh, a contract this week on having uh, gary thomas come and going to be leading a sacred marriage conference uh and we're very excited about that uh, a well-known author just about keeping the marriage what it's supposed to be he'll be here live we'll have that that time together with him He'll actually even, we've never had a, a singles event, but we're going to have a live singles event on Saturday night uh, that will actually be for singles, the sacred search that you are on as a single person. So that'll be, that'll be fun. That's coming up in the fall. As much as I like programs, as much as I want good programs, as I want, I want life-transforming programs, I'm sorry, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the church. The programs have a place, but they're not the church. Steeples have a place, but they're not the church. We're going to be moving into a new facility on July 14th, our first Sunday supposedly to be in there. I said it supposedly, you know what that means. Uh, all the little hoops have to be jumped through. and But we're, we're looking forward to that and the opportunities that that will give us. 
Uh, this ministry campus serves over a thousand people every week, not just here on Sunday, but preschool programs, under-resourced uh, children during the week come here and have uh, a tutoring, mentoring program. There's a whole lot. There's agencies in our community that bring under-resourced children every week to our services. So we're just excited to see how our ministry come, kind, of, kind of launches out from here. But as much as I love the steeples and the buildings and the programs, it's not what we're talking about. It's neither of those. We're not talking about steeples and we're not talking about programs. We're talking about people. That's the church. And the church is a part of God's economy. And in fact, there's a lot of metaphors when you talk about the church, when you look at the New Testament and how the church is portrayed. If you look and you, you look at Peter's writings, he, he called us a, a chosen people. He called us a royal priesthood. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty awesome kind of title. A royal priesthood is what we are called. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy, he says, they're a pillar, the church is a pillar. It's a buttress of truth, a temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. Lots of different metaphors for what the church is. And we could talk about each and every one of those and break it apart. But I don't want to talk about it in those metaphors. I want to talk about it in another metaphor today. And we'll get there in a moment. But I want us to understand the full impact in God's scheme of things. When you think about the Scriptures and all that the Scripture has to say about the church and how the church fits into God's plan and how it's a part of His, His schema of, of things working out. In fact, Bill Heibel said it succinctly. He said the church is God's hope for the world. Now you may disagree with that, but I want you to just at least appease me and give me a few seconds to establish that. That the church is God's hope for the world. And just hang on to that. Francis Chan, another great writer who's out today, he said, he said it in kind of a different way. He said the church is life and death. The church is God's strategy for reaching our world. What we do inside the church matters. Now again, may not matter to you. We'll get there in a moment. May not have been in your big picture life plan. We'll get there in a moment. But when you look at God and the way He talks to the church... When you look at His plans for the church, when you look at all that is mentioned of the church, the church, the, the word church, ekklesia in the Greek, the word church is used 114 times in the Bible, in the New Testament. It is a New Testament element. And part of that New Testament, 114 times, and of that 90 of those times, it doesn't refer to some great big large church, God's kingdom wide. It actually refers to the very local church. The church at Ephesus. The church at Laodicea. Lots of different local expressions. If God was still writing the Scriptures today, He might have a letter to the church of Grace Point. Think about it. That whenever He's addressing, He's talking to a church, a local group of people. Listen, you may not be up on the church, but I can tell you this, God, Christ, they're up on the church. And I know that there's lots of schisms and scandals and nastiness that has been in the, in the headlines about the church. I get that. And it's wrong and it's abuse and it ought not be there. But God's still up on His church. He's still... In fact, the metaphor I want us to focus in on, zero in on today, is that Christ calls His church the bride. His bride. His very bride. The one that He marries. The one that He's a part. Now... I'll have to say this. God never says, love thy church. He says, love thy enemy. Love thy neighbor. He talks about that. We've already talked about those. 
He never says point blank, love thy church. But maybe he actually says it quite clear through the, through the fingertips of Peter whenever he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, honor everyone. Love your brothers and sisters in the faith. Honor everyone. There's a certain level of respect that we should have with, with all mankind. But there is a love. There is a special uniqueness a love that we should have for brothers and sisters in the faith. People that we share a common ground with. Do, do you have that kind of love? Do you, do you have space in your life for that kind of love? I certainly hope so. Because again, if you look at the Scriptures where we're told in 1 Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. Alright, it says that. We have the mind of Christ and if we have the mind of Christ, then we should be loving what He's loving. We should be hating what He's hating. And that's just a process of maturation, of maturing, I know. But hopefully you're developing the mind of Christ. But I'll tell you this. If the mind of Christ, if your heart, if your life doesn't have love for His church, for if you're here today, I'm just going to assume, I know it's a broad assumption, but for this church, if this is your church, if you have another church, then hopefully you have love for that church. That local expression. But hopefully you have love for that church enough. And what does that look like? Are you just a member on the roll? Do you just attend there? Do you drive by on the interstate and say, that's my church? Or is it your, your church? Do you love it like Christ loved the church? Take your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Maybe a familiar passage. In fact, if you've gone to probably any Christian marital conferences, you've read this passage of Scripture. If you're a wife, you've pointed it out to your husband from time to time, especially that cherish and nourish part. And if you're a husband, you maybe have pointed it out to your wife, especially that submit part. And you've kind of zeroed in on that and think that's what this passage is all about. Well, let me say that there's a whole lot to this passage. In fact, I will say this. I believe that there's at least two messages that run parallel to one another. They're playing off of each other. But really, the plumb line, if you will, is not a marriage between a husband and a wife. That's, that's more of the point of application. What really is the plumb line in the story is Christ's love for the church. And so I want us today to just take your... I want you to test yourself and say, do I love the church like Christ loves the church? Because if I have the mind of Christ, if I love what He loves, then, then I, will, I will do that. So look, just follow along as I read it. You have your Bibles, hopefully you can follow along. Because I will ask you to circle the word church every time you see it. Because I want you to see this as a major theme in this passage. Verse 22, Ephesians 5, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the first appearance there. His body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So already in a few short verses, we see the church as the plumb line and out of the church and out of God and Christ's love for the church, we're finding out how we should be in a marital relationship with one another. And He gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, 
without spot or wrinkle in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, a husband should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. That's what a husband should, how he should treat his wife. Nourish and cherish. Because this is just as Christ does the church. See this coming abundantly through the passage. Because we are members of His body. That's another metaphor that is used for the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The church and Christ relationship is a model for a husband and a wife relationship. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just draw on that parallel and I'm going to tell you some stories about Lori and I's marriage of 20-something years. I'll get it straight. 22? 21? 22. 22 years. And, uh, and how that functions and how it should function and how it has misfunctioned and misfired at times. But I want us to draw that parallel because what Jesus does, what Paul does in his writing here, is he stakes in the ground. And he says, listen, marriages, as you're out there imperfectly functioning with one another, draw back, look back, reflect back on how Christ loved His church. And may that be the model for us as we go back to that First Peter passage and how we should love those sisters and brothers of the faith. Think about it like that as we go through this. Because this is, a, again, this is not a Paul-unique, kind of Pauline thing. This is something that's throughout. Revelation, even multiple times, he mentions in verse eight, chapter 18, 19, 21, and 22 that the church is the bride of Christ. So, the question begs. How well are you at loving the church? How well are you at loving the bride of Christ? Because I'll tell you right now, God is madly in love with His bride. Flaws, mess-ups, the whole nine yards. Let's talk about, let's take a test today. And let's kind of measure how well we are loving God's church. One test that we, one question we should kind of look at when we're looking at ourselves and, and, and how well we love, uh, love the church is that if you love the bride of Christ, if I love the bride of Christ, I will want to be with her as much as possible. You don't have to twist my arm to be with Lori. You don't have to twist my arm to be with the church. If there's a love relationship there. Now you think about it, in a good, healthy, marital love relationship, what does that look like when you, when you, when you kind of flesh that out? When you have a good, hot relationship between a husband and a wife, you'll ask questions like, when will I see you again? You'll be in an important meeting somewhere, some other place, some other, some other location, and you need to be zeroing in on that meeting. But who's on your mind? The bride, the groom of your life. And you're texting them. I mean, you, you're looking like you're taking notes, I know. But you're really texting them. And you're saying, I miss you, I want you, I want to be with you. Why is that? You don't have to beg married people in love with each other when they're going to be together. They look for the next opportunity to be together. Now, I'm an introvert, okay? Uh, and I say that 
uh, with, with I, I want you to know that. Because if you ever see me out alone, you see me eating in a restaurant alone, don't feel sorry for me. In fact, you need to be envious of me. I enjoy being alone. I enjoy taking a book and going into a corner and just being alone. It gives me energy. Uh, being alone. But I'll tell you this. Lori travels. I travel. And I, I even enjoy when she leaves. And I, and I leave. I mean, there's again, when you're an introvert, you enjoy alone time. But 24 hours, 48 hours, and all of a sudden, I'm going through the house talking to myself. And answering myself, and I and I'm wondering not WWJD but WW whatever Lori would do, and 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 I don't sleep as good. Uh, a big king size bed becomes really uh, too much, and you toss and you turn, and I can't go to sleep. That's what I experience because I want to be with her. The problem is when it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ, when it comes to His bride. Let me ask you, how, how much do you miss being with the church when we're not together? How, how much does your prayer kind of kind of grow a little weaker, your faith grow a little more stale, your light burn a little dimmer because you haven't been around some brothers and sisters in Christ? To fan your flame and to encourage you along. I mean, if you could just go Sunday after Sunday and you can go body life after body life group meeting and just miss and miss and it really doesn't matter and it's just one less thing on your plate then I really doubt if you're truly in love with His church. The local church, again, I bring it back to that. The local expression of His church that God maybe has called you to. Now, I'm not saying that the church should be a crutch. In fact, I'm everything against that. The church being the only, way I, only time I pray is when I'm in the church. Or the only time I uh, read my Bible is when I'm with Christians. No, not, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, we should be a family. We should be a family that when one is missing, we're missing the other ones. See, we live in this world where we, we pride ourselves in this kind of sense of independence. That's kind of what we're taught. That's what you aim for is independence. And I want to say that's a very unhealthy way to live. We need to learn interdependence. Where I am strong and you are strong, but we are much stronger together. And, and that's, again, the reason that God created Eve is because it wasn't good that Adam to be alone. See, our family at Grace Point is healthy. A healthy family when I need you and you need me. When we need each other. It's not a one-way thing. And so it is in marriage as well. I want you to follow along as I read this verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, now when you look at that passage of Scripture, Hopefully you, you see jumping off the pages, stir up one another to love and good deeds. Notice the last the phrase there, encouraging one another. Hopefully when you are with the church, when you're with the body, when you're with the bride of Christ, hopefully your, fan, your flame is fanned a little bit. Hopefully you burn a little brighter. You pray a little more fervently. You, you sacrifice a little more and you, you think of yourself a lot less. Hopefully you start seeing yourself as a part of something 
where you contribute to me and I contribute to you. Because if you could just walk away, then I really question the depth of the love as it would be in your own marriage. The word neglecting there is actually the word abandonment. Abandonment. To desert someone. And I tell you, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship when you've been deserted or abandoned. I don't know if you've ever had a job where you thought it was going so good and it was awesome. All of a sudden you turn, you go in for an annual review and all of a sudden it's, well, it's not as good as you thought it was. Or, or, or you get a pink slip and all of a sudden it's not as good as you thought it was. And all of a sudden you feel betrayed, you feel, you feel dirty, you feel like you were abandoned, you felt like it was a one-way relationship. Well, so it should be with the bride of Christ. That you should be so connected. You say, how do you get connected to four different gatherings spread across the day? It's going to happen here, but it's going to happen out there. It's going to happen in the body life groups. It's going to happen in so many other different formats. It happens here, but it happens all throughout, all week long. We need to be encouraging each other on. Today, people swap churches like they swap clothes, like they choose restaurants. What's the best deal for me? What's the latest fashionable place to go? We need to think of the church not as a fashion statement, but as our bride. Excuse me, as the bride of Christ. And that we are in love with it. Eugene Peterson, the one who paraphrased the message and brought the Scripture into the message, he said, our membership in the church is a corollary to our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. It is a part of the fabric of redemption. Think about it like that. Number two test. One is, listen, if you love if you love the bride, you'll want to be with the bride. If you don't love the bride, take it or leave it. Number two is I will accept the imperfections with grace. I will accept the imperfections of the bride with grace. Now, the two key words there is the word accept and the word grace. Acceptance is, I think, a more noble word than tolerance. We use that word tolerance. We need to be more tolerant in our culture. Tolerance is basically turning a blind eye to something that's wrong. Acceptance means I'm going to accept you. I'm going to love you, warts and all. I'm not going to turn my eyes. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. But I tell you what, I'm going to embrace you and accept you even if I don't agree with you. But the last word there is also critically important, grace. Grace is exactly what God did for us. Whenever He accepted us, embraced us, loved us with all of our miscomings and all of our shortcomings. Romans 5.8, jot it down. Whenever He says that while we were still sinners, what did He do? He loved us. We were still messed up, marred in life. When you look at Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 26. He says, And He might sanctify her, having cleansed her. The word sanctify means sanctification. means to make right, to make whole. See, God doesn't just accept us and let us go on messed up. He wants to make us whole and right and pure, having cleansed us with the washing of the water and the Word so that we might be, present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle in any such thing that we might be holy and without blemish. The beauty of a good relationship. The beauty of a good church is where we can love each other 
despite its imperfections. Despite our imperfections. We can love each other and not strive for that perfect body, that perfect church, not because we're perfect. We love each other despite the imperfections, not because we're perfect. Can you say that? Because I tell you what, if you're looking for a perfect church, there isn't one out there. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, I'll be the first to tell you, I will be the one who will fail you. You hang out with me close enough, get close enough to me. Some people can't handle the humanity of a pastor. Listen, I'm human. This room is full of humans. All right? I love it when a, mar- when a young married couple comes to me and they're in this state of bliss. Everything's perfect. He's perfect. She's perfect. There's no way we'll ever... Everything's going to be perfect. All My number one task as a premarital counselor is to pop their bubble. All right? And I say that with love and grace, okay? I want to pop that bubble as soon as I can because if everything fizzles and flattens at that point and they don't still love each other, they didn't love each other to begin with. They were just infatuated with each other. See, real love loves people despite their imperfections. Lori and I, when we got married on December 29th, 1990, that uh, I thought I couldn't love her anymore. But I can tell you now, I love her more today and I love her more tomorrow than I ever could have loved her on that day. Why? How's that? I mean, because by all means, when you live with somebody, you see their imperfections. I mean, she's got a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm working on her. But uh, um, she called me her enemy last week, so I'm just I'm trying to one-up her. Um, the key is we never stop dating. We never stop forgiving. We never stop accepting and giving grace all at the same time. The church has got to be a place of grace. This place is called Grace Point Church. I hope it is a place that points you to grace and you experience grace. In fact, I want to get you uncomfortable for just a moment, okay? I want you to find four faces and I want you to look into their eyes, okay? Just around you right now. It means you're going to have to turn. You don't have to say anything, okay? Just look in their eyes, give them a nod, hmm, you know, smile, fake smile, whatever you got to do. Four faces, do it right now. Go. Look around. Alright, you're making eye contact with them, okay? Don't have to linger long. Don't wink. Nobody wink. Alright? So, anybody feel uncomfortable with that? Raise your hand. Yeah. I, I Introverts don't like that either. You know, so I had you do it. Um, but l- listen, I want to let you know, you just looked into the face of imperfection. And you're at church with them. And they just looked into your face of imperfection. And they're at church with you. But my prayer is that you will understand that we are a place of imperfect people. Augustine, an early church father, said it like this. Speaking of the church, she, she's a whore, but she's my mother. What a statement. She's jacked up. She's my mother. That's the way we should love the church. You know, one thing about love is you can't contain it. You must release it. And to say that you love God but don't love His bride, that that doesn't go together. And then to say, okay, I love His bride, 
But I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to show my love and I'm not going to connect with people and I'm not going to be in relationship with people. Then you really, really don't love the bride. There's something about it. If you can walk away and stay away, there's something wrong with love. If you can be in a love relationship, but you can mess up, but the other person can't mess up, there's something wrong with love. Love is whenever we embrace with grace and acceptance that other person. Love is whenever you want to be with them. And so it is with the church. But there is one more test. It's the test that if I love Christ's bride, I will want to meet her needs. It will come out. I will see a need and I will want to meet a need. That's why, guys, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you ever kind of got in that situation whenever your bride tells you that, you know, I need this from you. and But I don't want to have to tell you. I want you to be able to read my mind is what she's saying. Or what she's really saying is I want you to know me so much, so well that you just love me and you see it. You see what I need. And it works both ways. Husband to the wife, wife to the husband. But when you love them, when you love the church, you'll see the need and you'll be the first to meet up to it. The early church fathers said it like this. What is thine is thine and what is mine is thine is a saint. The person who says what is thine is thine and what is mine is mine. See, in, the, in our world, we don't live that way. What is thine is mine and what is mine is mine. That's how we live it. That's a very dangerous posture to have in a relationship. Let me tell you about Lori and I's first argument. All right? It, as a married couple, we had before. But the, as we were married, we came back from our honeymoon. And we went to the Grand Caymans, had this great, amazing honeymoon down there. Came back to our little hut apartment there in a little town in Missouri. And she was a full-time student, and I was working two jobs. And at the first day back, I come in and I plop down on the couch, and I was tired. And, and, and she was at the table doing her schoolwork. And she had a full load of classes and all that kind of stuff. And I sat and I wait, and she sits and she waits, and we're both hungry. And we're both thinking that that other person's going to be sensitive. And they're going to be caring. And they're going to realize I've worked hard all day. Two jobs. And she's going to, and I'm thinking she's going to think, I, you know, that's what she's going to think. And I'm, and she's thinking I'm going to, see, I can't communicate here. Uh, she's, I'm, I'm, anyway, you get the point. I'm supposed to be meeting her needs. She's supposed to be meeting my needs. And neither one of us are meeting anybody's needs. And we're sulking. And we're sad. Guess who won that argument? McDonald's did. We had McDonald's that night. And uh, the point I, I make in this, 22 years later, as we've learned this little rule, it's an unspoken rule, but we just kind of know it at our house, is after 5 o'clock, the work is equal. I don't care if what, whatever happened during the day, after 5 o'clock, the work is equal. So if she's in the cooking I'm going to be in folding laundry. And if she's dirtying dishes, I'm going to be cleaning dishes. And she doesn't sit down until I sit down, and, and I don't sit down until she sits down. And that's just kind of one of those things that we've learned to mutually respect one another and to serve one another because we love one another. And we've learned how to love one another. How does this relate to the church? Notice this, what Jesus, it was said of Jesus, that He loved the church so much in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says this, 
is that Christ, the husband, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. So there's this act of service that God Almighty, perfect God, sinful man, perfect God looks down on sinful man, could have wiped us out, started all over, could have done it, but he didn't. He loved us enough to serve us and to give himself for us. Listen, I'm going I'm to say this point blank and some may be offended by this, but I, I hope more than anything you're just stirred to the core to really ask your question, do you love the church that God's called you to? If you're a follower of Jesus today, do you love the church that God's called you to? Because if you do, you will find a need and you will serve that church. Not because it's not just your hot drinks when you want them, your food when you want it, and how you want it. You will look for ways. If you cannot say with all your heart that you love this church, you need to go find a church and love it. And be a part of it. Plant yourself there and watch God bloom you. I realize Grace Point's not for everyone, but it is for some. And those who are here, I pray that they understand that with the motto that we have printed on our wall that we talk about in all of our North Point classes, our motto is that every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. That means that we're not going to tie you up into meaningless, mundane stuff. We want you doing meaningful things because you have gifts, you have passions, you have interests, and you can use those for the good and the glory of God. It's a part of His plan. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, the last verse I want to read. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us. See the work that He's doing for us. Gave Himself for us, redeeming us and purifying into Himself a peculiar people. We're the peculiar people. Why? That we would be zealous of good works. That from that relationship, that love relationship that He demonstrated towards us, we would turn around and be zealous for good works. Zealous to show love, to demonstrate love. To a first-time guest who walks in here who's scared to death about walking in, in these doors of the church, we're the first person to greet him. To a child who will not get a Bible lesson taught in their home because the mother and dad don't know the Bible. And you're teaching them the Bible for the very first time. A teenager who comes from a family of atheists who will drop off their kid on a Wednesday night and you will pour yourself into them because you are the only godly example that they have. Then you're getting what it means to love the church. Around this room are different booths. We're going to give you the rest of the time. We're literally going to end the service here. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And then you are dismissed. And I encourage you to stop at this expo. All around the room, there are different things. If you go back to the ministry bank, though, that's kind of the generic one. And we've got spiritual gifts inventories there that you can fill out and complete. There's some kind of raffle going on around the room. I don't know. Just kind of ask the people at the tables, where's the raffle stuff? But anyway, stop by the ministry table. There's incentives that we have out here. But really, the biggest incentive is you've got a bride who needs you to love her. Because Christ loved the church in that same way. Would you love the church? Let's pray together. Father, you loved us. Our imperfections, our flaws, you loved us. May we love each other in all of our imperfections, in all of our flaws. And Lord, may we not walk out of here 
today and just walk away from church. Walk away from the body, the people. Lord, may we spend time knowing and loving, looking for opportunities to gather and to engage and to encourage and to stir one another on to good works and to encourage one another. Because Lord, this world is full of discouragement. But if the church doesn't encourage us, who will? So God, may we understand we have a place. We have a part to play. We have an expression of love to give. And may we do it now. And may we do it fully and completely. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.